Selamat Sabbath, semuanya. I want to say that one more time because I'm just loving the sound of that. Happy Sabbath, everybody. Welcome again to Faith Under Fire. You know, I'm loving this series. Now, just a, a disclaimer for you guys. I love every series that I preach because I just love the Word of God. But in particular, this series, because I believe we are living uh, in a season that our faith is under fire. COVID-19 is like just beating us up and we think we got it under control. We think that things are good and then something else happens. But I want you to understand that when the heat turns up, the flames of discouragement, the, the flames of fear, uh, the flames of doubt, the flames of financial problems, that is the time you need to turn up your faith. Do not allow the flames of difficulty to extinguish your faith. And so that is why I'm telling you and preaching this series of faith under fire. Because I want you to understand that no weapon formed against you will prosper. <laughs> Hallelujah, somebody. That God is so good that no matter what you go through, you're going to make it because God is right by your side. So under this series, we have uncovered two concepts. That is, we need to go on a faith-finding mission and also, there is power in presence. Uh, if you want to recap on those sermons, I, I will invite you to go to Jakarta Central Church YouTube page. You can find the sermons right there, edited and ready to go. And just check us out. And by the way, we have a podcast, you know, on Spotify and and Apple uh, Podcasts called Jakarta Central Church. And all the sermons are there. So we are out there, you know, on, on, on social media. We are on Instagram, you know what I mean, Facebook. Find us right there. Follow us. And, you know, if you like something, please go ahead and share it because we need a team to be able to help us to share what God is doing uh, for us. Uh, and, and so I want to take our attention to Numbers chapter 14 because that is where we have been kind of staying. And last week I covered verses 1 to 10. What I want to do today is to cover verses 11 to 45. Now that's a lot of verses. I will not preach 45 verses, but I will cover 25, 40, I mean, um, not 45 verses. We're looking at about maybe 30 something verses. If you turn your Bibles to Numbers chapter 14, Verse 20 to 25, I'm taking this chunk of scripture and I want to read from it. Numbers chapter 14, verses 20 to 25. The word of God said, then the Lord said, I have pardoned according to your word, but truly as I live. God saying as I live. I love that because he lives today. That's the good news. All the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. We talked about this last week. That is the power in presence. Because all these men who have seen my glory and the signs which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and have put me to the test now these ten times and have not heeded my voice. But <laughs> Caleb, my servant... Because he has a different spirit in him and has followed me fully, I will bring into the land where he went and his descendants shall inherit it. And verse number 25, it says, now the Amalekites and the Canaanites dwell in the valley. Tomorrow, turn and move out into the wilderness by the way 
of the Red Sea. Allow me to impress your mind this morning. Faith has an enemy. Good. Faith has an enemy. That is what I want to tell you this morning. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much because of the awesome privilege to hear your word. And Lord, please speak right now. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So I, I know that uh, you, you like movies. I like movies as well. And uh, when we watch a movie, there's always a good guy and there's always an enemy. Uh, we know that the good guy is going to win. And the enemy is going to lose. But what we do not know is how the fight is going to turn out. What are the twists and turns? What is the plot like? Is the plot going to thicken? Is it going to lighten? So we watch movies because we are interested to see how the good guy or the protagonist is going to defeat the enemy or the antagonist. So you have watched Batman and uh, Batman movies and, and you know that Batman has to contend with his enemy called the Joker. I discovered that the Joker really likes Batman and would like to collaborate with Batman. But because Batman is more serious and the Joker is full of jokes, Batman doesn't want anything to do with the Joker. But so the, the Joker sometimes just wants to get on the nerves of, of Batman because it's like, hey, you, 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 you don't want me to interact. But eventually, Batman always finds a way uh, to defeat his enemy called the Joker. Professor X must contend with his frenemy, Magneto. Uh, these guys grew up uh, or they knew each other in the past, but uh, life kind of led them in different directions. And, and so they're fighting against each other. And somehow Professor X and his crew of X-Men find a way uh, to defeat Magneto. You have Clark Kent or the famous Superman who must contend with his arch enemy, evil genius Lex Luthor. And Lex Luthor will try to find ways to defeat Superman. And he, he must uh, get him to suffer under this kryptonite, right? But somehow Superman, Clark Kent, always finds a way to defeat his enemy. And then you have the, the Transformers. And you know that you have Optimus Prime leading the Autobots. And then there you have uh, the the Decepticons and, 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 and there they, they will fight against these Autobots and they'll be fighting. But eventually the Autobots always finds a way to win. And we pay movies to watch this battle play out. And, and we know how it's going to play out that the good guy is always going to defeat his enemy. I have news for you this morning. And that is faith has enemies. And we have uncovered faith's enemy so far in the series, Faith Under Fire. We know that one of the enemies of faith is to see good in something, but not to see God in the good. The children of Israel, they go on a faith-finding mission with Caleb and Joshua, and they see that it is a good land, but they cannot see God in the good land. And some of us, we can't see good in the good land. All we see are difficulties and challenges, and instead of seeing the difficulties, uh, the good of God in the land, we, deal, we dwell on the difficulties and the challenges, and we don't receive the blessing that God has for us. 
Last week we discovered another enemy of faith and that is discontentment without a cause. That is uh, complaining about what God has given you. That is not willing to appreciate what God has given you and finding ways to go against God and not really possessing the thing that God uh, has intended for you to possess. Not willing to take the power of God in order for you to possess the promise that God has for you. Yes, I say again, faith has enemies. And one of the enemies of faith that I want to talk about today is presumption. Now, in the court of law, presumption is a friend. Because you are innocent until you are proven guilty. We call that, or I'm not a lawyer. I, I shouldn't say we. <laughs> But lawyers call this a rebuttable presumption because you are innocent until the rebuttal that you are guilty. There is also another kind of presumption and that is a conclusive presumption. A child can never commit a crime and that is why children under age never go to penitentiary or prison because conclusively a society believes that a child cannot, cannot commit a crime. But I'm not after the friendly kind of presumption this morning. I am after the kind of presumption that goes against boundaries. I'm, I'm after the kind of presumption that goes against established lines. I'm, I'm after the kind of presumption that says, I'm going to do what I want to do. I don't care what you want to do. So this kind of presumption is like this. The girl doesn't give you permission, but you pick, up, you pick her up on her feet and you kiss her. She didn't give you permission, but in your presumption, you decided to break the boundaries. I'm talking about the kind of presumption that you go to somebody's, 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 somebody's house. Pastor Henry, come on now, let's talk. You go to somebody's house and you make a beeline for the fridge. They don't give you permission to go to the fridge, but because of your presumption, you open their fridge, you get their juice, you get their bread, you get their peanut butter and jelly, and you make a sandwich, and you pour yourself some juice, and you drink. And the person is like, hold up, is this your house or my house? I'm talking about the kind of presumption that a child would go into his father's wallet or his mother's purse and pull out a credit card. Yes, that Visa credit card. And he'll go on the internet and he's been wanting this pair of shoes and he finds this pair of shoes and he, he clicks check out and he's asked for credit card details and he takes his parents' credit card details and he buys him shoes. I'm talking about the kind of presumption that is reckless driving on the road and driving at the same time i'm talking about the kind of presumption that uh, you you take a scripture of or you take a scripture that says if you handle serpents they will not harm you and so you feel like you are untouchable you go in a cage with a reticulated python thinking that it will not harm you but i have news for you if that python is hungry it's gonna eat you up now in numbers 14 presumption has a different ring to it and I came up with a definition of presumption based upon my readings of the passage and this is how I defined it presumption is being motivated by consequences to do a wish of God after the time to execute has passed so let me show you what that really looks like so you tell a friend Come to my house at 10 a.m. 
When you come to my house at 10 a.m., I want you to come in clean shoes. It is a clean shoes counterparty. But your friend at 9.30 decides to go walk in the mud. And he, he walks to the door, to the front door of your house. And you see his muddy shoes and you're like, hey, brother, why are you coming here with muddy shoes? I thought we had an agreement that when you come here at 10, you would have come here with, with clean shoes. You, you would have ex executed the wish that I had. But because you have not executed the wish of coming with clean shoes, you cannot enter my house. I know we go way back. I know your mother knows my mother. I know your father knows my father. I know we went to the same school. I know that we, we share stuff. But you didn't execute my wish. And therefore, I cannot allow you to enter my, my place. So your friend says, nah, bro, you, you, you can't take it that hard. We, we go way back. All right. I'm going to show you that we go way back. So he goes and maybe he goes to a sports station or some, some uh, place where you buy shoes and he buys him a clean pair of shoes and he comes back to your house and he's like, hey, bro, listen, I'm back. I know that was just a little problem right there, man. I mean, forgive me, man. I'm, I'm sorry that I, I didn't come with clean shoes, but I'm here now. Can you let me in the house? And he's like, hey, bro, listen, I told you my wishes and I told you what I wanted, but you didn't do it. Can you respect me now by you going back to your house and not insisting for you to enter my house? This is a situation that is happening in Numbers chapter 14. Because the people of God have left Egypt, they have come to the doorsteps of Canaan. God has said, look, it is time for you to get the, the, the promise. I'm ready to give you the promise. And the people of God says, look, God, we are grasshoppers in the sight of the giants. We are little and they're big. We are low and they're high. I don't think, God, that this is the right time for us to execute the wish that you have. So God says, okay, it's cool you can go back you don't have to execute my wish and so what God does is that he tells them take a u-turn notice God telling them to take a u-turn he says the Amalekites and the Canaanites dwell in the valley tomorrow turn and move out into the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea and so God says look I, I get it you want to go back that's fine Right? That's fine. I know I want you to execute my wish right now, but you don't want to do this right now. That's okay. You can go back. You can do a U-turn. But I want you to understand that God never wants us to take a U-turn. God would prefer to go straight ahead. But when he realizes that our faith quotient is, is little, when he realizes that faith is empty in the tank, when he realizes that we have used it up, God will not force us to go forward. He will allow us to go backward. He will allow to take a u-turn because God will not work with a person who does not have faith God will not move with a person who does not believe in what he can do God will not move with a person who is persisting and insisting in dragging their feet in the mud God will be like it's okay you can go back but God, let me tell you, never intends for us to take a U-turn. God wants you to go forward because God never goes backward. God is always a forward-thinking God. God wants to take you from your situation now to a better situation. God wants to elevate you. God wants to do things for you. But he will not move on your life. He will not move on your situation. He will not move in you if you are not willing to move with him. So God says, yeah, man, let's take a U-turn. It's all right. Because I need people. 
that are willing to go forward in faith. The land of promise is for people who have faith. The land of promise is for people who are willing to be fearless enough to face the giants in front of them. They will not back away or turn away, but they are going to continue forward because they understand that God is with me. I might be a minority, but because God is with me, I'm a majority. And so when Moses delivered the news that we must turn back, we must do a U-turn, the text says that the people lamented greatly. That is, the people cried out. And if you know from last week, they were crying out. They were weeping uh, to Moses. Moses, we cannot go to, to, to Egypt. I mean, we cannot go to Canaan. Uh, the, the, the land is not good. We should go back. What is God trying to do for us? But now when God tells them the consequences of their decision... The people lament greatly. And that's why I'm telling you that feelings do lie. Today you feel this way. Tomorrow you feel another way. And here is another pity party. Because the people are crying out. They're crying out because they know now the consequences of not willing to go straight ahead with God. And so they are crying. Because they felt. Listen to me. They failed to cross. They failed to cross the, the bridge that God had created for them. They failed to execute the wish that God had intended for them. And Moses says to the people, because when they are lamenting and they are crying, they decide now it's time for us to go and, and possess the land. Because sometimes when you are guilty, you do the right thing. Sometimes when you feel bad, you do the right thing. And so here the people are feeling bad. Uh, but Moses is saying, Lord, no, 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 no. Right now is not the time. God has said we got to go back because the Amalekites and the Canaanites are in the valley. We need to go back to the Red Sea. We need to take the U-turn because we can no longer go forward. Moses is saying to them, listen to the text. Moses is saying, do not go up. Do not go up lest you be defeated by your enemies. <laughs> Faith has enemies, y'all. For the Lord is not among you. For the Lord is not among you. But listen to this. But they presumed to go up the mountaintop. They presumed to go up the mountaintop. Sometimes you shouldn't go up the mountaintop. Sometimes you need to go down to the valley. Nevertheless, neither the Ark of the Covenant, their protection of the Lord or no Moses departed out of the camp. Listen to me. Presumption persists even when God says no. But persistence ignites resistance. We use antibiotics to fight bacteria like E. coli. Now, there are two types of bacteria, two types. We have persisters and we have resistors. Interesting that uh, in each there is there is sister in there. I don't know why that is so. But we have persisters, persisters and resistors. Now, here's the thing. When you take an antibiotic and the bacteria is a resistor, what the, the, the bacteria is going to do, it is it is going to fight the, the, the antibiotic because it has the tools to fight the antibiotic and the antibiotic does not work. But a persister works a little bit different. 
in that when you take the antibiotic, the antibiotic is going to kill off the persisting bacteria. Because the persistent bacteria make a calculation. Let us suffer now. Let us lose people now so that we can live to fight another day. So the persisters will be killed, but a few of them will, will decide to reduce their activity and they will go into kind of hibernation mode because antibiotics work in attacking the most active bacteria. So the persisters make a decision, let's lose some in order to win some. And so they go into a hibernation mode and, and the, the, the antibiotic no longer sees these active bacteria and therefore the antibiotics thinks that the battle is over. But the persisters realize and they say, okay, the coast is clear, no more antibiotic. And so what they do is they develop a resistance to the antibiotic. So the next time that you take the antibiotic, those persisters have become resistors and therefore the more you take the antibiotic, you are not going to succeed because the, the, the bacteria is now resistant. And I want you to understand that when we persist with God, when God has said no, all you're going to meet is resistance. I want you to understand that when God has given you his decision, it doesn't matter if you pray all night. It doesn't matter if you fast a week. It doesn't matter if you ask your favorite pastor to pray for you. It doesn't matter if you read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. Whatever you do will not work. I'm reminded of a great king. His name David. You know him. He had a child out of wedlock with Bathsheba. And God said, David, this child cannot live because it is a child conceived in sin. This child cannot live. You have brought a disgrace on my name. But David was a man of prayer. He got on his knees and he prayed to God. He prayed, he prayed, he prayed, he prayed. And he was hearing reports from his servants. King, your child is sick. And he kept praying. He kept praying. But eventually the news came. David, your child is dead. And that moment. When his child was dead, David did not continue to pray. He did not continue to persist. David got up from his knees. He washed himself, put on his best robe, wiped his, his, his face, and he kept going. Because he understood that God has given me his answer and I need to stop right there. I want you to understand that when God has told you what he has told you, you should go by that. Sometimes we, we say yes, but we mean no. Sometimes we say no, but we mean yes. But let me tell you, with God, a no is a no. With a God, with God, when he says stop, it means stop. With God, when he says don't do this, it means don't do this. And so if God is speaking to you right now about a situation, he's speaking to you about doing something, it is not time to put up a resistance movement. It is not time to persist. It is not time to, to be hard-headed or to be stubborn. It is time to say, you know what, God? I accept. God, I believe it. And God, I'm going to move on with you because I realize that persistence creates or ignites resistance. It's interesting to me that the, the words used in, in the text when it says, and they presume to go up to the mountaintop, the word can be, can be understood as heedless or recklessness. In other words, when you persist, you're being reckless. In other words, what you're trying to do is like you're a driver. And then you get to a red light. 
and you realize, okay, there's no car on the left, there's no car on the right, and then you continue going ahead. That is a reckless move. And I see this all the time here in Jakarta. Man, that thing drives me mad. I, I'm, I'm, I'm in a bike, a go bike or grab bike, and then we get to the place where the, the, we're about to cross a rail, and then, you know, the, the guardrails are coming down, it's telling you to stop, but some drivers, man, they don't care about that, they just go ahead. You see, when you persist, when God has said no, what you're doing is, you're being reckless and you're putting yourself in unnecessary danger. But I want you to understand that these brothers were trying to go up and fight the Amalekites. But what happened to them is that they were defeated by the Amalekites. They lost the battle. Because when you presume, when you, when you, when, when you say I'm going to do it anyway, what, it, what you're trying to do is you're trying to force God to act on your behalf. You're trying to ask God, God to protect you when he shouldn't be protecting you because you should be doing the right thing. And so hear me carefully. God's love will not protect you when you're in violation of his no. It won't protect you when you violate his no. It doesn't work like that. You know, sometimes we're there, we're like, we're like Lord, um, I know this is wrong right now, but I'm going to pray and ask for your forgiveness later. Mm-mm. I know, I know it ain't the right thing, but you know, I'm going to repent about this later. What you're trying to do is asking God to protect you when you're violating his wishes for your life. And when you can do that, it is a problem for God. But you see, when you can tell yourself, you know, God, I'm not going to do this right now. God, this is not the right thing right now. God, I believe it. And when you do that, what you're doing is you're acting with prudence. You are not acting with presumption, but you're acting with prudence because you're like, man, God has said no. Man, if I was those Israelites that day and Moses had told me do not go up to fight, I'd have been like, man, yeah, I ain't going to do it. You know what I mean? Because look, this is Moses talking. He's a man of God. Besides, we don't even have the ark. I think this is not a good situation. So I'm going to turn back. And when you act like that, what you're doing is you're preserving yourself because what happens is prudence portrays faith with the brain. It shows that, oh, this person is a thinking person. It shows that this person understands precisely what I want them to do. And so the people should have been like, you know what, God? You said that the valley has Amalekites and the Canaanites. Hmm, God, you ain't got to say twice. You said, hmm, there's danger right there. You said, that's going to burn me. God, thank you. You ain't got to say it twice. And that's what we got to be because God expects us not to be what I call spiritual dummies. God expects us to be spiritually intelligent and to be spiritually smart that we can calculate a situation and realize, mm, I can see this and it ain't adding up and I better get, get up out of here. And that's what the people should have done because prudence shows that faith has a brain. You see, you see faith with a brain. It trusts God. But it will put on a seatbelt. Mm -hmm. You see, faith with the brain will trust God, but it will wash its hands. You see, faith with the brain will trust God, but it's going to put on a face shield. You see, faith with the brain will trust God, but it's going to put on a mask because God expects us to use common sense. In other words, I like how Ben Goodwin put it. He says that this means there are some limits to faith that prevent us from being reckless. 
That's why right now in COVID-19, God loves you. He'll protect you. But please don't go out of your house without the protection that you need. Don't go and take a test without studying. Don't go and ask for a promotion when you haven't been putting in the effort. Don't try to do things and ask God to step in for you when you haven't done your part. And too many of us, we are like that. We want God to do things for us. We want God to make things move, but we ain't moving. We're not putting in the effort and God is saying to me and to you, <laughs> brother, mm -mm -mm -mm. that is recklessness. And recklessness is not faith. In fact, it is faithlessness. I believe in faith and I believe we should be bold in faith. But my brother, you better be prepared. My sister, you got to be prepared before you get out there and do stuff. Because trust me, God is not going to step in for you. Listen to me carefully how uh, we see this play out in the life of Jesus. He is out there in the wilderness. The devil comes to him. Hey, are you the son of God? Jesus says, yes, <laughs> I'm the son of God. John the Baptist said, or, or rather after I was baptized and I came out the water, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son whom, I, whom I'm well pleased in. And so when Jesus is going up to the wilderness and he's there, when the devil comes and says, are you the son of God? Jesus says, I know I'm the son of God. And he believed it. So he had no reason to prove that he was a son of God and the devil takes him up to, a, to the pinnacle of the temple and he says, look, if you are the son of God, jump down from here and let's see if God is going to send protection for you. But Jesus says, uh-uh, I ain't going to jump because I'm not going to make God protect me when he shouldn't protect me. Let me, let me, let me make it like this. Let me put it clear to you. Don't give God problems you should bypass. Don't give God problems you should go by. Not every problem is God's problem. It's your problem. Because, but sometimes we think God loves us so much, I'm going to do it anyway. But Jesus teaches us that I'm not going to put God in a position where he has to expend unnecessary resources to protect me. I'm not going to put God in a situation that makes him step up for me when he shouldn't step up for me. I'm not going to make him expend his energy for me when he shouldn't be that way. And some of us, unfortunately, we put God in a situation that he shouldn't be in only if we had used our brains. I've had situations where I'm about to take a test and somebody comes to me and says, hey, Henry, can you please help me out with this problem? I'm talking about 10 minutes before the test, a final exam. I look at this brother, I'm like, uh, you want me to help you on this exam? Yeah, bro. I mean, look, man, it's been so hard and everything. And I'm like, oh, okay. I feel you, man. This is hard. I understand. But you saw me yesterday on campus walking, right? I was walking and I was chilling. I had time then to help you. But now you're coming to me 10 minutes before the test asking me to help you. And now you're giving me a problem that is not my problem. If you had come to me earlier, I could have sorted it out. And sometimes we're doing this to God. Instead of us doing our part, you know you got to study. Get in, get, in the, get, get, get in the library, man. Pick up a book and study. Then you can pray, Lord, help me on this test. You know that you got to prepare for the interview. Don't prepare for it five minutes before. Take time out and prepare so that when God is entering the situation, he knows that my child is prepared. He knows that my child has done his part. Faith is not lazy. Faith works. 
faith does its part and when we do our part God happily and is excited to help us because he understands that I'm not working alone in this situation I'm actually working with this person and that is why once again God told the Israelites let's take a U-turn because it seems like I'm going to do all the work and you're going to do nothing and God is not interested in doing nothing God is interested in working with us by us and for us and you see, what I need you to understand is that when you put on the brain and then and, and when you're thinking and then when you're acting in faith, what, what, that, what that does is it kills and it defeats the spirit of presumption. Because acting out in faith will defeat presumption. You see, when Caleb heard from Moses, we got to go back. Caleb said, you know what? Yeah. We got to go back. I'm not about to be here and fighting a man of God. We have got to go back. And Caleb and Joshua and Moses and Aaron. And I believe that faith of you decided not to go up to the mountaintop. And they stayed down where they were because God had spoken. And they were listening to the words of a man called Moses. They were taking it in because God had spoken. Moses listened and he communicated and Caleb heard the message and he said, nah, I'm not going to go out because faith will listen. Faith will listen. It will listen to what God is saying. And sometimes, listen to me, listening may mean to deactivate your plans until a future date. Caleb was ready to possess Canaan. He was ready to go in. He was ready, but because others were not ready, he had to put a pause on his plans. And sometimes in the life of faith, you have to stop for a bit. You have to take time out because the situation is not conducive for you to take the chance or the circumstance. It will require you to do something that will kind of detour you but in the end things are going to happen but because you are listening to the words of God because you're listening to what God has to say you'll be like yo Lord I, I believe in this I'm not going to do that and notice this it was very hard I believe for Caleb not to, ac to accept what God was saying because God had handed down to the people of Israel 40 years a death sentence to wander around in the wilderness and can you imagine, I want you to imagine, because the promised land and the wilderness were not very far. And they're wandering around for 40 years. And he's just there, you know, going around and around. And he can see some days that that is my promise. But he cannot go in. Because God has said to him, you cannot go in. Because God says, this is not the right time right now. But he said, this is okay, because that's what God wants. And that's why I told you a few weeks ago, be okay with God's way. Because always... God's way is always the best way. But I want you to understand that Caleb listened to Moses. He just didn't listen to anybody. Right? He was listening to Moses. That is God speaking in human flesh. And so he had trained himself to listen to the right kind of voices. And that's what I'm asking you to do this morning is that you need to train yourself to listen to a credible source, not to every source. Not everybody you should listen to. Not everybody is speaking the right message. Not everybody is preaching the right message. Sometimes people are telling you things that are meant to bring you down to a ditch. But you need to remember, 
That the people you should listen to should be consistent in your life. There should be people who have credit in your life. There should be people you can say, you know what, this person, yeah. And Caleb could look at Moses. Moses took, out, took us out of Egypt. Moses gave us the will of God. Moses has been guiding us. Yeah, Moses is a credible source. So what is a credible source in your life? And who are you listening to right now? Who is giving you messages right now that are impacting your doing and your thinking? Because who you listen to really impacts what you do. And because Caleb listened, look at this, I love this. He remained alive. He remained alive. The other ten spies, they died. The people that went up to the mountaintop, they suffered defeat, but he remained alive because he listened. Faith saves when you listen to the words. And you see, what I love about this situation is that it shows me that in spite of the, the, the difficult situation that Caleb was put in, he was exempted. And because he was exempted, he was able to live in the present. And those who did not show faith, they became past in other words past tense he was living in the present tense but they became past tense just yesterday he could say hey those brothers we went together you know those brothers i was talking with them but now he says they are now dead and gone because what happens is when you are living and and going by god's direction he protects you and he keeps you alive faith saves now, one thing that I discovered as I was considering this, I said, faith will make you look beyond the present. Because here's the thing, though Caleb had to suffer in the wilderness for 40 years and he had to go through this difficult situation. But because he was spared, he began to realize, oh my goodness, God has a plan for my life. He began to realize God is looking out for me. I am not going to be lost. And in fact, God makes it clear. In these verses, he says to them, he says to, uh, to, to Moses, he says this, the carcasses of you who have complained against me will fall in this wilderness, except for Caleb, the son of Jephunneh and Joshua, the son of Nun. You shall by no means enter the land which I saw I would make you dwell in. So Mo, uh, Caleb hears these words from, from Moses. And that is, look, you are not going to die. And so he realized, oh my goodness, I'm not going in now, but in the future, I'm going to go in anyway. <laughs> I'm not going to go in now, but God has my future in his hand. God has not left me alone. And that is the good news today. Today might not look like what you want it to look like. Today might not look like your future, but when God has your back, your future is in the bag. <laughs> when God has your back, your future is in the bag. Somebody treat that. You don't have to worry about what your future will look like because God has everything under control. But what I need you to understand is this. God will turn anything into a carcass that will harass your future. And so God realized that Caleb can and should get the land of promise. But these 10 spies, these people who are fearful, they are not 
good to go with Caleb into the promised land. And therefore, I need to turn them into a carcass so that Caleb is not harassed in his future. Let me tell to you, when God is doing things in your life, sometimes some things have to die, some things have to be removed because God can see better than you. God understands better than you. And he knows that if I don't take care of this situation, it will not be helpful for him or for her in her future. So you don't need to cry. You don't need to worry if things are not working out right now. Just have faith. Believe in God. You're going to see him do an amazing things. Let me say that one more time. God will turn anything into a carcass that will harass your future. Please take that to heart. God is trying to kill some things around you because he knows uh, 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 this is not going to work out for my son, for my daughter. I love him too much. I care for him too much for him to suffer by this harassment in the future. So let it become a carcass. Sometimes your job has to become a carcass. Mm. It has to. Because God understands that this is not your future. Uh, sometimes friendships have to become a carcass because God understands this person is going to bring you back. Sometimes God understands that this location has to become a carcass because this location is not for the best interest for your future. See, God understands these things. And so when things operate in our lives and they maneuver in a way that we don't understand and they throw us off, uh, what you need to do is to have faith because God is creating a carcass, uh, a carcass out of a situation that might harass you in the future. Now, what is interesting about this situation is that Caleb had faith. He believed but he didn't go into the land of promise because of consequence of other people. He didn't make a fault. He didn't create. He didn't fail. But others failed. Uh, but others failed. And because they failed, they impacted him. And sometimes we are, fa we, we, we are impacted not because we failed, but because others have failed. But God wants us to understand that we are not an island. We are connected in the great web of humanity. And when others make a mistake, the wave, that tsunami is going to hit us because that's how God works. And so Caleb has to suffer. And he, I want you to understand this. And, and this brother put it very nicely is that faith is not a certificate of immunity. That is, you're going to suffer difficulties in your life. That is, you're going to suffer challenges in life. That is, things are not always going to be smooth. It's not going to be a sunshine. In fact, it'll be clouds some days. Because faith is not immunity. Just because you believe in God, it doesn't mean that you're going to scave the problems. So one day I'm walking in a park. And I was following the, 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 the clear marked out path. And I was walking. I didn't deviate from the path. I didn't go out into unmarked paths. I didn't go out into the, the bushes. I didn't do that. I was just straight on the path. But above me, there were trees that were like a, a canopy over the, the trail. And there were monkeys up there. I saw them. And as I'm walking, the monkeys, they start to drop their poop on the path. And honestly, I ain't gonna lie to you, man. I feel like these monkeys, they were, they were mocking me because they're like, we want to drop poop on this, on this dude today. And the whole time I'm walking, I'm like, yo, this is poop. This is poop. What's going on? Sometimes you can be on the right path, but the monkeys of evil will drop poop in your path. But the good thing is, poop may stink, but it won't kill. <laughs> poop may kill, may stink, but it won't kill. Because the, the, the beautiful thing, thing is, 
though you may never have immunity in life, though you may not have immunity in your faith experience, but with God, there is always tranquility. There is always peace. I love what C.S. Lewis said. Life with God is not immunity from difficulties, but peace in difficulties. That's what you need to be praying for right now. Lord, I need peace. I don't understand it. It don't make sense to me, but I need peace. And trust me, God will give you peace. Because, you see, Caleb begins to understand something that I want you to understand today. In the 40 years that God had them in the wilderness, wondering, is because God was trying to accomplish something. And, and Caleb understood that God is trying to make carcasses out of these brothers. So God is about to accomplish a purpose. We may not always understand the purpose that God is trying to accomplish in our lives. But we will trust him enough to say, God, I know you're about to accomplish something. This situation, I don't get it. I don't understand. But I know, I believe that you're going to accomplish something. And that makes you walk with your head held high. And you're like, you know what? I'm going to face tomorrow. God lives. God has everything under control because this is it. Because you need to understand that living a life of faith is understanding that when things fail, it's not just about me. It's bigger than me because God wanted Caleb to understand. And this is the point that God was trying to accomplish is that Caleb, you cannot, you cannot possess the land by yourself. It's not a, a thing I can only do for you, but I want to do this for your kids. I want to do this for your brothers and sisters. I want to do this for your other relatives. Because sometimes, listen to me carefully, God works in a crowd. God, God works with a majority. And when a majority is not willing to move and to actually go in, God has to say, uh-uh, we are not going to do this right now. And so you might be praying for God to do things in your life, but they may not be happening because your wife is not moving yet your husband is not moving yet your brother is not moving yet your church is not moving yet unless they move God is not going to move and so sometimes in a life of faith it's going to be like that but keep praying and asking God to change hearts asking God to return hearts to him because God needs faith to move he needs faith to move what I love about Caleb and what I love about God is that Caleb never complained one bit. But what Caleb decided to do is that he decided to turn his attention in serving God. And I want you to understand that faith will serve God. Faith will serve God because it understands that my life will live for God. My life is for God. And this is what God says about Caleb. He says, but my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit in him. And has followed me fully. I will bring him into the land where he went. And his descendants shall inherit it. My servant Caleb. He, service is not a demotion with God. In fact, service is a promotion. No good. Service is not a demotion. It is a promotion. That is, when you serve God, you are living the highest life. Come on, pastor. I don't understand you. Moses is described as a servant of God. Ah, Moses, man, I, that, that guy is, I know Moses. That, that guy, he got mad at God. You know, he, he didn't do right. So he's not a perfect example for me. 
Paul is described as a servant of God. Paul, you mean the persecutor turned to a preacher? Nah, that guy, I don't think is really a good example for me. Maybe this one will work for you. Jesus is called the servant of God. So if Jesus can be a servant of God, who am I not to serve God? Because you see, when you are serving God, you are turning the attention from yourself to him. You see, when you're presumptuous, when you are doing things for yourself, what it is, is you're focusing on you. So that brother who comes to your house and he opens the refrigerator and gets food without your permission, he is on a self-serving mission. But when you say, I'm going to serve God, what you're doing is you're putting your focus on, on, on God. And I love what God says. He has a, a different spirit in him. He has followed me fully. And that is what it means to live a life of faith. And that's what we really need at this particular moment is focus your energies on doing something for God. When you take your attention from your problem, trust me, you will see things happening. And when you take your attention from the problem, you will see that they're going to be solved better. It never works to simply dwell on the problems, to be looking at them. No, what you need to do is get in the car of faith, have God drive you in the direction you need to go. And my brother and my sister, when you do that, you're going to succeed and you're going to defeat the enemies of faith. And you see your life, your life succeeding. You see, in the movies, Batman always defeats the Joker. All the movies I've seen anyway. Professor X, he always finds a way around Magneto. So does Superman. So does Optimus Prime and the Autobots. What I'm trying to tell you is that faith, faith will always win. Faith will always win. What is your enemy right now in your faith journey? What is your enemy? It is time to defeat those enemies. Is it discontent? Presumption? What is your enemy that you need to get rid of? Lord, I can't see goodness, your goodness in my life. Lord, Lord no, I can't. Today, that enemy can die. If you say, Lord, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to do your will and your purpose. Lord, today, I want to kill this faith enemy. Today, we can truly live a life of victory because faith, last time I checked, is victory. We don't live. We don't fight for victory. We live or we fight from victory and faith is that victory. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, faith has enemies. We, we want to defeat the enemies of faith. For sure in my life, I want to defeat the enemies of faith. For sure in my life, I need to defeat the enemies of faith. And I'd like to ask you, Father, that you'd help me and my brother and my sister to defeat the enemies of faith. Many things, Lord, are getting in the way. But, Father, we want to be like Caleb, who defeated the enemies of faith. We believe, Lord, we cannot fight without you. We need you every step of the way. So, Father, we give you our heart. We give you our mind. Take everything. 
And I humbly ask all of this in the wonderful and awesome name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you.